This podcast is brought to you by HealthCareInfoSecurity.com, the leading online publication for risk management and security professionals within the healthcare industry. This is Howard Anderson, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today we're talking with Terrell Herzig, Information Security Officer at UAB Medicine, about the results of the Healthcare Information Security Today survey. Thanks so much for joining us today, Terrell. Well, thank you, Howard. Some 43% of respondents to the survey rank their organization's ability to counter internal and external information security threats as poor, failing, or in need of improvement. So why do you think that's the case? Pretty interesting. When I was thinking about this, a couple of immediate points came to mind, uh, actually three or four. And um, let me kind of step through them. I think the industry's kind of been weak on uh, keeping up with risk assessments, and by not adequately doing those, they probably haven't really accounted properly for the insider threats. I think that's one contributing factor. I think the second is that clinical staff have a lot of access rights. And the only way to really discover when those access rights have been abused is to examine log files. And, you know, in, in looking through the survey, there was a couple of questions involving log files that you can kind of tell where a lot of the organizations aren't managing those or looking at those adequately. So, therefore, I think it's going to be hard for most organizations to detect when these particular um, rights are being uh, misused. So I think that's uh, part of it. And then the other part, I think, is just really uh, insufficient user training. Uh, there was a question in the survey, and I'm, I think we have a question coming up on it, that is kind of interesting when you when you look at the training perspective. If it's weak or, or not there, then uh, the users may not know in terms of, you know, some of the things that they're doing that uh, could be interpreted as breaches or, um, you know, that breach of trust and confidence. What about the lack of preparation for external uh, threats? Is the lack of a risk assessment uh, play a role in that? What other factors play a role in that? Yeah, I think, I think it, you know, if you look back, I think it's a lack of risk assessment and understanding what those external threats are. And uh, I'll give you an example of, of that. You know, one of the things that we have to do with any kind of security control is to monitor it and uh, set up uh, metrics so you can measure what's going on. And, and I've noticed one of the things out there, that's making a comeback is, is, of course, the threats from malware. And a lot of these threats are, are getting harder to detect. Not one, you know, single tool really does an effective job at discovering those. But by, you know, looking at those metrics and things, you can see where there's been a steady uptick in the last year of malware threats. And basically, if organizations aren't doing the very basic analysis of their risk, then they probably also don't have the, uh, metrics in place to measure how effective their controls are, and that would include their external controls as well. And then, of course, again, that you know, there's, a, I think, a finding about logging and log management. And, again, that's a, one of those key controls you've got to monitor and look at to see if, if your controls are being effective. Survey respondents say the biggest security threats they face are mistakes by staff members and insider threats, including record snooping and identity theft, followed by business associates taking inadequate security precautions. So what do you think of that perception of the ranking of security threats? Yeah, I mean, the insider threats, I think, you know, typically in any information system, your, your biggest threat is going to be from your, from your inside users. Uh, and, again, you know, we just talked about several points, what causes that, you know, lack of training, extensive rights to information where those rights are misused or in some cases abused in the cases of snooping and things like that. Uh, when it comes to business associates, the weakness there is that most organizations don't have visibility into 
their business associates' operations to be able to even determine if they're monitoring things correctly. So I think there's a lot of trust there that you undertake as an organization when you establish these business associates. And what I have found is that even with an enhanced BAA agreement, business associates will often try to negotiate certain points out. So organizations are going to have to become uh, more aggressive with these business associate agreements and ask for things like SAS 70 Part 2 reports, things that you know show that they have been audited by a third-party auditor and are indeed using controls and that they're measuring the effectiveness of those controls. That's going to be about the... Uh, the only way an organization is going to be able to look over the shoulder of its business associate and see that things are being done correctly. It's a tough world out there right now, and I think uh, a lot of the things in, in healthcare, the new technologies and stuff coming down are going to require more and more third-party business associate agreements. And I think it's going to have to be addressed in the ability to have you know third audit reports turned into us to be able to detect when the controls are effective. Terrell, do you think all the publicity about some recent huge uh, data breaches involving business associates might motivate people to uh, take a closer look at their business associate arrangements and the details? It really should. I mean, I know from our personal perspective, we take it very seriously, and uh, we ask for those verifications. But even then, you know, it's good to have some contractual things in that BAA such that, you know, if a breach does occur, that you hold them to a certain reporting time period. Uh, you certainly don't want the business associate taking 50 days or something like that to investigate a situation then notify you and you've only got a short time to conduct your investigation and notify patients. And again, too, you know, a lot of business associates out there who are involved in breaches need to be able to have uh, proof of an incident response plan and be able to give you uh, the information you're going to need should a breach occur. And I think we're, we're seeing the uh, telltale signs of that in the press now especially with some of the uh, outstanding breaches we've had in the last couple of weeks. I asked about the effectiveness of their security training and awareness activities. 42% of those surveyed grade their efforts as poor, failing, or in need of improvement. So why aren't more organizations making solid progress in the training arena? You know, I think a lot of organizations did their initial HIPAA training as required, and that was pretty much the extent of the training they offered. From experience, what I have found is that uh, there, there's two fronts you need to train people on. Certainly, they need to know your organization's policies and procedures as they pertain to uh, protected health information. But uh, you also need to be able to train those individuals effectively on technology. They need to understand why it's not a good idea to bring in cell phone X, that's the new tool out on the market, that may indeed be exposing the organization to potential data loss. It's those kinds of things you have to get back in front of individuals with. Um, it's not necessary, I don't think, to, to have a lot of town hall meetings to, to educate folks because clinical staff are very busy and, and those uh, methods tend to, to yield less results. Uh, I think people should look at other alternative education strategies. Here we use um, media like newsletters. We, uh, we surely use you know, email broadcast, that's actually a pretty effective one because I'll come in, for example, on a Monday morning and send out a mass mailing of, you know, here's some recent national security events that we're seeing. And uh, people read the stories and they actually like reading those because it, it tells them things that they were not familiar with. One big help with uh, with that front has been our use of social media as examples of, of social engineering. Uh, that is, you know, techniques where individuals are conned into giving up their passwords and, and things like that. And that's very common these days, 
and a lot of people just weren't aware that, you know, things like that were going on. So that was very helpful to, you know, get those kind of newsletters out and those kind of email broadcasts. And, uh, you know, brown bag lunches where we talk about a certain thing like maybe strengthening your, your Internet Explorer or your browser or, you know, how to harden your home PC against uh, threats like viruses and malware. Those kind of things, you know, kind of reinforce your security strategy and make people understand why some of these controls are put out there and why they're being asked to comply with them. Mobile device security is growing in importance as more staff members use the devices, as you just mentioned. The survey shows 70% of organizations have a mobile device security policy in place, and 60% apply encryption to mobile devices in some way. So what do you see as the essential components of a mobile device security policy? Sure. On the on the policy basics, there's a lot to it. Not only should you mandate certain technical controls to be used like encryption, but you also want to address data ownership. There's a lot of times when uh, clinical staff will use information and assume that, you know, because they use it, they're the owners of it. And basically you need to go back and look at, you know, who's going to pay the price if that information is breached. Uh, certainly the organization's going to take a big hit reputation-wise, and they're probably going to be on the hook for, for the violation. So in terms of that, there needs to be a clear communication in those policies about who owns the data and what the expectations are for securing it. And then, of course, a lot of clinicians need a good, firm understanding of what constitutes sensitive data. Uh, I've had some discussions with our clinical staff that sometimes, you know, they'll say, well, I'm not going to have the entire EHR, and they need to understand that, you know, not having the entire EHR, you can just have components of it that would constitute sensitive information. So you'd be surprised, I think, in some cases that clinicians may not fully understand under HIPAA what constitutes PHI. So it's a good chance to, to cover that in the policy. And then again, of course, you want to cover device ownership. Does your organization purchase the device and only allow deployed devices on and that are owned by the organization? Or does it work in a model where personal devices are allowed so long as they meet certain uh, technical controls and, and policy basics? So again, you know, that's something that needs to be defined in, in the policy. And then from the perspective of mobile device security, that policy has got to be pushed out in training venues so that everyone uh, understands it and has read it and uh, knows what the expectations are. Uh, here we have a an acceptable use rule, basically, that uh, everybody has to reattest to on an annual basis. We have a certain amount of corporate compliance training required each year, and we add that to that uh, so that they can review it, you know, refresh their understanding of it, and then acknowledge that they have indeed uh, read it and understood it. And I think finally, back to your risk assessments, before any decisions are made uh, regarding mobile devices, you really need to assess how that device is going to be used and what threats it's going to pose to the organization. Only 44% of those surveyed say they update their business continuity plan annually. Why is it essential to frequently update a business continuity plan based on your experience? I know, for example, you just went through the tornado there in Alabama. You never know what Mother Nature may throw at you and what what size or magnitude of a natural disaster you may uh, find yourself exposed to. So it's very important that you review those disaster recovery plans and make sure that not only your facility, but you're ready to deal with a community-wide uh, disaster when it occurs. And, um, you know, part of that, too, is, is an ongoing measurement to make sure that your contingency plans and your critical systems have been 
routinely inspected and evaluated to make sure that any impact to those systems can be recovered in a timely basis. And, um, you know, that's where it's important, again, to do those business impact assessments and keep those up. Uh, I would say at least on an annual basis those should be reevaluated so that uh, senior management will have an understanding of how long it would take to recover a service if it went down or if there's a need to go out and invest in technologies with uh, uh, faster response times. So most definitely, um, you know, not only test internally but test with your community so that you are prepared for those kind of events. You uh, understand how your local emergency services will operate and respond uh, so you'll be ready for, uh, for what we face. Finally, did you find any of the results of the survey to be particularly surprising or concerning, Terrell? One of the big ones for me was, you know, how do you determine the effectiveness of some of your security controls uh, that you had in place? And I think one of the, uh, the the general answer that the respondents gave overwhelmingly was through their risk assessment. And I scratched my head a bit, had to think about that one for a while, and I think that, you know, kind of highlights a, a certain level of understanding uh, among information security people. You know, risk assessments traditionally tell you where your risk is at and, you know, likelihood for impact and those kinds of things. You generally want to look toward establishing metrics, measuring those metrics to determine the effectiveness of those controls. So I found that very interesting. You know, overall, I think the survey is excellent. You know, when you review it, I think you'll see these trends, and I think they very much confirm some of the suspicions that a lot of us in information security have that uh, healthcare has a way to go. Well, thanks very much. We've been talking today with Terrell Herzig of UAB Medicine. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by healthcareinfosecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.healthcareinfosecurity.com.